Let me invite you to grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Yes, I did say Acts chapter 8. We're taking a break from Romans today because it's Thanksgiving week. Yes. Do you guys love Thanksgiving? I love Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite holidays along with Christmas and Easter and July 4th and all the others. But when I think about Thanksgiving, I think about Alabama. That's where all my family's from. So every year on Thanksgiving Day, we go down to Birmingham and we spend Thanksgiving there with my dad's side of the family. And we eat all the great southern foods like collard greens and chess pie. Anybody like chess pie? Praise the Lord. And we drink a lot of sweet tea, amen. And we watch none of that unsweet stuff, come on. And uh, we watch football, which is great. We spend time together. And since we only get together with that side of the family once or twice a year, it's always fun to see how everyone's doing. You know, sometimes there's a new addition when someone gets married or engaged or someone has a baby. Sometimes there's a new job or a career change. So we, we look back and we celebrate all that God's done in each of our lives and we thank Him for another year. And then we also look forward to what God's going to do in the, in the years to come. And we eat a lot of good food, of course. This morning, we're going to do something similar, minus the food, sadly. But we're going to push pause on our Roman series for the holiday season. You may know Advent starts next Sunday. But today, we're going to spend some time celebrating and reaffirming our Multiply 2028 vision. The Multiply 2028 vision is for Blue Valley Baptist to become a multiplying church that is actively establishing local campuses and planting autonomous churches locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally by 2028, which is our 50th anniversary. And you may remember it was two years ago today that we first adopted this vision statement and we committed ourselves to seeing it carried out and we spent all this time praying and planning and trying to get the words just right and we finally got to roll it out and we were all excited and ready to charge the gates of hell with a water pistol. And then March 2020 happened. That was the month where all good plans went out the window. And we charged on, but the Multiply campaign got a bit delayed. So it was one year ago this month that we finally got to launch that campaign where, get this, in one year we have raised just over $393,000. Isn't that awesome? The first $125,000 we gave to our initial multiplication efforts. So right off the bat, we got to see some exciting parts of our vision come to life. And now you've heard we're in this debt, this, this phase where we're paying off debt. It's not exciting part of this campaign, but we're doing it so we can free up monthly mortgage payments. Is that what you call when you for a church building? I don't know. Monthly pay, yeah, mortgage payments so that we can have free money, if money freed up to give to multiplication efforts. So we're moving full speed ahead, but you know, being two years in, we're at risk of having happen what often happens with all good initiatives. We're at risk of losing steam, letting off the gas, and lessening our passion and focus for the vision. But let me be clear. If we want to fulfill this great vision, we cannot let that happen. We cannot stop playing in the second quarter of the game. We've got to increase our focus and passion. We've got to remain committed now more than ever to accomplish what God has called us to do. So this morning, I want to remind us of our why. Why do we have this vision? Why does this matter? 
I want to encourage us by looking back at what God has done, and I want to challenge us to press on in the future. And I want to do that by looking at a story in what I view as the multiplication handbook, a book of the Bible called Acts. We know Acts is the story of how the church got started. This book begins with Christ leaving his disciples after his death, after his resurrection, and he calls them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And then he ascends to heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God. But he does not leave his disciples without help. Do you remember Acts chapter 2? Jesus sends the promised Holy Spirit to fill the disciples and empower them. And this power begins to cause all these great waves in Jerusalem. People are being saved. Thousands of people are being baptized. The church is growing. It's incredible. But at this point, the gospel is still mostly contained to the boundaries of the city of Jerusalem. Until Acts chapter 8. That's where everything changes as the church faces their first major crisis. Look with me in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. He says, And Saul approved of his execution. Uh, That's kind of an odd way to start a chapter. You may remember that uh, verses and chapters were added later to the Bible. So what's going on here is we're continuing a story from chapter 7 where the very first Christian had just been martyred. A man named Stephen who was one of the first deacons of the church had just been stoned and killed for his faith. Stephen was preaching the gospel. He was doing miracles. And just like Jesus, the Jewish leaders did not like that. So they brought him in before the court. And he gave this really amazing sermon in Acts 7, which made them even more angry, and they killed him. And through this story, we're introduced to one of the leaders of this anti-Christian movement. It's a man named Saul, who we also know is called Paul. You may remember him. We've been talking a lot about him because he wrote the book of Romans. But this is before that. This is before he became a Christian. At this point, Saul is a Pharisee. He's a a Christian hater, and he actually approves of Stephen's execution. Think about that. The Paul we, we love, we read about, approving of a man being stoned to death for his faith. Here's what happens next. Look at rest, the rest of verses 1 through 3. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This is the first time in the book of Acts we see the word persecution. Stephen has just been buried and Paul begins to ravage the church. That word ravage means to cause harm, to to injure. He's terrorizing Christians. He's going from house to house and finding who is a Christian, dragging them out to the street and throwing them in jail. So here's what happens to the Christians. They, They scatter. They leave Jerusalem where it all started, where they were comfortable, where they lived together in that community, where they've been meeting together, and they have to go out into these other regions of Judea and Samaria, all except the apostles. They stay behind to hold things down. And Paul seeks to destroy the church. But little did he know that his attacks would be the very means of causing Christianity to spread. Look at verse 4. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. What did the scattered Christians do? Did they get in a holy huddle and hunker down for dear life? 
Did they say, oh, we, we better be quiet so they don't find out we're Christians and kill us like Stephen? Did they form an armed militia so they could fight back? No, they go out preaching the word. They leave their home, they leave what they've known, and they take the gospel with them. And they begin to share with Jesus, with others about Jesus through their difficult circumstances. And then Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, zeroes in for us on one Christian in particular, a guy by the name of Philip, who was another deacon in the church, and he follows him. Look at verses 5 through 7. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was much joy in that city. It's the first time we see in the book of Acts the gospel being proclaimed outside of Jerusalem. Philip is preaching in Samaria, which is a place where we know there were believers because of the woman at the well and Jesus' ministry there. But this was still a place that was viewed as foreign, as other. It was a place despised by Jewish people. And Philip goes there and he, he not only preaches the word, but he also performs miracles. These signs were the same ones performed by Jesus and his disciples. And they're used here for the same purpose. To validate the gospel message. That, that was the point of miracles in the early church. To, to show people the power and authenticity of the story of Jesus. So the gospel is preached and demons are cast out. The paralyzed are healed. And here's the end result. Did you see that in verse 8? Look at that again. There was much joy in that city. Do you see the cause and effect of what's happened in just eight verses out of persecution, out of suffering for the church, out of the death of one of their own, comes great joy for people who did not know Christ. This short story gives us a pattern, a pattern of multiplication. And as we think about our first two years of the Multiply 2028 vision, I want us to see three things from this passage that we can learn about becoming a multiplying church. Here's the first. Number one, we multiply through difficulty. Three weeks before COVID uh, really hit our nation in March 2020, I was in the hospital as my wife gave birth to our son. And I think whenever you have a child, you, you start thinking about the future and what things are going to be like for them. So when COVID hit and everything went a little crazy, I remember holding my son just a few days old, looking at him and thinking, what is this world going to be like for you? I mean, just like all of us, I never experienced anything like that. I never expected in my lifetime to experience anything like that. Working from home, wearing a mask to the grocery store, washing my hands, trying to protect my newborn son. Those were difficult days. And we know we're still there in many ways. We're still dealing with COVID in our community. And while a lot has changed over the past year and a half, there's still difficulty today. Not to mention there's hostility and division in our own country. And then around the world, there's tragedy and issues all over the place. So it would be easy for us to think, man, this is a terrible time to try and multiply our church. We need to try and take care of ourselves first and, and protect Blue Valley. We need to focus on us. Then maybe later down the road, we can help others. Look, I, I understand the temptation to think that way. And to be totally honest, if we'd been given a glimpse 
back in November 2019 of what the future would hold when we adopted this vision, if we had seen all that was to come, we might have said, hey, let's push this back a little bit. This is not a good time to try and raise money and send people out and start something new, this pandemic and the economy. Let's just just wait on that. But that was not God's plan. God's plan was for us to kick off a huge, exciting vision and to get hit with a pandemic. And this was not a surprise to him. COVID did not catch God off guard. He didn't get blindsided by the pandemic and start working on his backup plan. No, here's what we know. We have a God who is sovereign and in control. God is doing what he's always done. Just like we see in Acts chapter 8, God loves to multiply through difficulty. Not just in spite of it, not just working around it, but notice I said through difficulty. Think about Acts. The church had been called to go out to the nations, but up to this point, they were still in Jerusalem. It took martyrdom and persecution to get them out of their city and into the world. The mission took place through, not in spite of, but through because of the difficulty. And this is a pattern we see all throughout the Bible. Think about it. It was through Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery that he ended up saving his entire family. It was through Israel's slavery in Egypt that they grew into a great nation. It was through the plagues and literally through the Red Sea that God rescued his people and displayed his salvation. It was through the taunts of Goliath that God displayed his strength in David's victory. It was through the exile that God's people finally repented and returned to him. It was through the fiery furnace that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego demonstrated their unwavering trust in God. And it was through the death of his own son that God saved the world. These are not coincidences or mistakes. God delights in displaying his glory through difficulty. It brings God glory to take the worst situations and to turn them for the good of his people and the glory of his name. This is the way he works. This is his strategy. Right at the beginning of the pandemic, John Piper wrote a book called Coronavirus and Christ. And I was like, man, how did he write that so quick? (laughs) But it was really helpful for me as I was trying to process all this and what God was doing. And I want to read this last page to you. He closes the book this way. He writes, We may think the coronavirus outbreak is a setback for world missions. I doubt it. God's ways often include apparent setbacks that result in great advances. On January 9, 1985, Pastor Haristo Kulichev a congregational pastor in Bulgaria, was arrested and put in prison. His crime was that he preached in his church, even though the state had appointed another man as pastor whom the congregation did not elect. His trial was a mockery of justice, and he was sentenced to eight months in prison. During his time in prison, he made Christ known in every way he could. When he got out, he wrote this, Both prisoners and jailers asked many questions, and it turned out that we had a more fruitful ministry there than we could have expected in church. God was better served by our presence in prison than if we had been free. This is often God's way. The global scope and seriousness of the coronavirus is too great for God to waste. It will serve his invincible global purpose of world evangelization. 
Christ has not shed his blood in vain. And Revelation 5.9 says that by that blood, he ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. He will have the reward of his suffering, and even pandemics will serve to complete the Great Commission. I love that. Let me just read two lines of that again. He said, the global scope and seriousness of the coronavirus is too great for God to waste. It will serve his invincible global purpose of world evangelization. And this is the mindset we have to have when it comes to difficulty. Because if you thought the pandemic, the pandemic was bad, we got a lot worse things coming. Do you remember Revelation? Do you remember reading that book and you guys looked at me every week like, when is this going to end? We know what's coming. We know what's coming for this world and we know what's coming for the church. And friends, it is not good. But rather than fear, rather than anger, rather than division, difficulty actually gives us an opportunity. It's an opportunity to multiply through difficulties in ways we got could otherwise. So when unexpected things happen... When we face trials and challenges, what we need to do is not hunker down and focus on ourselves. We need to seize the opportunity to multiply, using the situation to advance God's unstoppable mission. We need to trust God's sovereign hand and say, God, what are you doing right here in the midst of this? I truly believe COVID was a wake-up call for the church. It was a call to remind us that our days are numbered, that we have a lost world who does not know Christ and that we've got to reach them before it's too late. The last year and a half has caused me to be more burdened than ever to fulfill this vision that we don't have time to waste. We don't have time to cower in fear. We don't have time to get distracted by worldly disputes and division. We have a mission to multiply. And just as he's always done, God is going to multiply through difficulty. That's first. Here's the second thing we learn in this passage. Number two, we multiply by sending people out. At my last church in Tennessee, I served in student ministry in a small town of about 8,000 people. And one of the frustrating aspects of my job was seeing these students that I had invested so much in graduate from high school, go off to college, and never come back to live in our town. Many of them continued to follow Christ and serve the Lord, but schools and jobs took them to bigger cities and to other churches. And I used to think, man, I'm putting in all this work, and these other churches are getting the fruit of my labor. <laughs> but man, God straightened me out really quick. <laughs> He opened my eyes to the call of sending. Sending. I discovered that we have a sending God who's called his church to send people out for the kingdom. I discovered that I was not losing students. No, I was preparing them to be sent out as missionaries. And this really was a, was a paradigm shift for me because like, like many people in ministry and in the church today, my vision was to reach and to grow. Like I thought that was my job. To get students to come to our church so our youth group could be bigger and bigger. And we did pretty good. We really grew. We had a great group for a church our size. But every year at graduation, I lost a dozen or so of my best students. I spent all that time getting them to come that I never thought what would happen when they left. So I had to change my vision of success in ministry. And we have to do the same. 
Many Christians today still believe the goal of the church is to get more of the three B's. More budget, more buildings, and more bottoms and seats. That's what many think is the measure of success. we got to reach people and grow our church so we can build a bigger church and then reach more people so we can do more and have bigger events and better programs and nicer stuff. And the size of your church or the size of your budget is the measure of success. This is not the vision of Blue Valley. We are not here to build our own little kingdom. We're here to build the kingdom of God. And we are not here to reach people so we can have a big church and say, look at us. We're here to reach people so we can send them out. That's what we see in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, they're raising up people and they're sending them out to reach more people. Paul was not out to big to build some big mega church Disney world for Jesus. But he was out to build lots and lots of churches everywhere he went. So this means if we're going to be a multiplying church, we've got to change our measure of success. We cannot simply evaluate our attendance numbers and our budget giving and our building size. We can't just crunch the numbers and say, look, we're doing it, or look, we failed. Because there are a lot of big churches out there with a lot of people and a lot of money who are not fulfilling the Great Commission. So how then will we know when we do this? How will we know when we become a multiplying church? How will we know when this, this vision is being accomplished? Well, there are several indicators, but here's the big one that Pastor Derek and myself and our elders are really praying specifically for, and I encourage you to do the same. We will know that we have become a multiplying church when we raise someone up from within our own church body, and they take a group of people from our own church body to go plant a church somewhere else. Maybe that's in Johnson County. Maybe that's in another state. Maybe that's in another country. That's what we're working toward. We're praying that God calls someone maybe in this very room to be the one that leads a group to be sent out. And then we want to do it again and again and again and again. We want that to be in the DNA of our church. We want that to be normal and natural. That's the heart of this vision. It's multiplying through sending. But I need you to know this is not the easy way. Now, this is going to be hard. Because this means that some of our friends, some of the people we sit by every week, some of the people in our own Sunday school class will be the ones to answer the call and leave. Some of our best volunteers, some of our strongest leaders, some of our biggest givers are going to leave us and go somewhere else. Some of our own children or grandchildren may be the ones to move to another country and we don't get to see them at our table for holidays. That's the cost of sending. We're going to lose people from our church. And that seems counterintuitive. I mean, you might think, well, how are we going to reach people and staff our little kids' ministry and support our budget and fund these ministries if everyone's leaving? That's a great, great question. This is where we have to trust in God's hand. I believe that God blesses the church that sins. I believe that if we're faithful to do what he's called us to do for his mission, then he'll be faithful to give us the people and the resources we need. Look, we're not doing this because it's easy or because it's trendy or it's some hip, cool new model of doing church. We believe this is the pattern God designed in Scripture. We multiply by sending people out. That's second. Here's the third And last thing we learn from this passage, number three, we multiply for the joy of the nations. 
I love the way this passage, this passage ends. He says, there was much joy in that city. This joy comes as a result of Philip's preaching of the gospel. And people hear what Jesus has done for him. For them, there's joy. But notice the joy doesn't just come by Philip's preaching. But it also comes about by Philip's miracles. There's joy because people are freed from the oppression of demons. People are healed. They're paralyzed and they get up and they walk. This is the beauty of sending, of, of multiplying. We get to minister to people and meet their needs where they are. We get to help people physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And that's what we're going to be doing through our, our church plant with Compassion in Brazil. This church that we plant is going to have its own community center where kids in the community who are in poverty are going to come and they're going to be fed. And they're going to be cared for. And they're going to be, uh, get, get, receive health care and receive clothing and receive education. And most importantly, they're going to hear about Jesus. See, when we meet people where they are, when we enter into their community and we build relationships and we love them and we care for them, we earn the ability to preach the gospel. And this leads to even greater joy. Hearing and believing that Jesus has saved you from your sin and from hell, understanding that God loves you and is, is working for your good, man, that is true joy. Have you experienced that joy for yourself? Have you ever seen firsthand that joy on someone's face when they come to know Jesus? As a pastor, one of my favorite parts of my jobs is baptism. That is a moment of true joy. You know, I've never baptized someone without a smile on their face. Every time they come up out of that water, there's joy. You can see it. It's contagious. And that's what we want to see through the ministry of our church we want to multiply disciples that multiply churches, that multiply joy, that multiply the glory of God. And by God's grace, we're going to get there. Will it be easy? No. It's going to cost us financially. It's going to cost us people. It's going to cost some of us personally. Will it be logistically simple? No. There are many things we're going to have to learn. There are going to be roadblocks and challenges like we've already learned trying to plant our first church in Leewood. Will it be comfortable? No. It's going to require sacrifice from all of us. We're going to have to sacrifice the building bigger and nicer buildings and having nicer stuff. We may even have to sacrifice our own jobs and homes and friends to move to a new place. But will it be worth it? Absolutely. When we get to heaven, we'll see it's worth it. See, that's the measuring stick. When we meet the people we impacted, like a, a child from Aldeas Altos, Brazil, who met Jesus and was fed and cared for through our church plant, or like a young college student from Des Moines, Iowa, who's trying to figure out what to do with their life, and they find Jesus at Multiply Church that we support in Des Moines. Or like a local Hispanic family right here in Olathe who's been waiting to hear the gospel message in their own language. One day we're going to gather with these people around the throne and then, then we will see that multiplication was worth it. So I don't know what the next six or seven years hold for us. And to be honest, I don't think I want to know. <laughs> I don't know what the world will be like in 2028. But I do know by God's grace what I and this church will be doing. We will be multiplying through difficulty by sending people out for the joy of the nations. 
So today we can celebrate all that God's already done. It's amazing that we have a Hispanic mission, Mission Esperanza meeting right down the hall. We can celebrate the fact that they're getting ready to break ground in Brazil on a brand new church in a community that doesn't have one. We can celebrate the fact we just started a brand new church planting residency. We have a guy, Alan, who you're going to get to meet next week, who is getting ready to plant a church here in Johnson County. And we can also look forward because we know this is just the beginning. We're just getting started. And so much more is to come. I want to close with this quote from Adoniram Judson. He was the very first missionary from America that left to go to a foreign country. His story is really incredible. If you've never read about the suffering and the sorrow and the heartache he faced to take the gospel to the lost, it's incredible. And this is a prayer he prayed. He said, Oh, God of mercy, have mercy on the churches in the United States. Hold back judgment from them. Continue and perpetuate the heavenly revivals of religion which they have begun to enjoy. And may the time soon come when no church shall dare to sit under Sabbath and sanctuary privileges without having one of their number to represent them on heathen ground. That's our prayer. That's our prayer, that there will be a day when we will not gather as a church and sit in this room without knowing that one of us, one of our midst is out on the missionary ground. That's our heart. That's our prayer. That's our vision. And may that prayer be true for us. Let's go to the Lord now.